The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. Before we begin what is really going to be a great episode today, I want to give a quick shout out to my good friend and green gal pal, Leah Lamb. She's the editor of Current Green, which is the green channel of Current TV. As many of you may know, it was founded by former Vice President Al Gore. And just this week, she gave Go Green Radio quite an honor. And I want to say thank you. She combed through hundreds and hundreds of green podcasts from all over the U.S. and named Go Green Radio as one of her top three favorites. And we want to say thank you to her and to Current Green And from uh, all the staff here at Go Green Radio, we want to pledge to you all that we'll continue to earn that honor every week as we bring you the best that we possibly can in terms of content and in-depth interviews. Speaking of which, today's show is as about in-depth as you can possibly get. Today we're going to be talking with Robbie Diamond, who's the president and CEO of two organizations that I'm very excited to bring to our listeners' attention. The first is... Uh, the website, if you want to check it out while we're talking to Robbie, don't close this web browser as you listen to voiceamerica.com. Open a new web browser and go to www.secureenergy.org. That organization is made up of some pretty amazing folks, a lot of former military officers, um, some very, very high-level CEOs for large businesses like Southwest Airlines, FedEx, and many more. They developed a couple of years ago an Energy Security Leadership Council, which focused on reducing America's dependence on foreign oil. We're going to talk about why that's so important and exactly what they're recommending. And then back in November of last year, Robbie Diamond became uh, the president and CEO of the Electrification Coalition, which launched in November 2009. There's a great video of the, the event when they launched, and you'll see on the website, www.electrificationcoalition.org. Uh, I really invite you to check out that video, just some great concepts. That were, that were put out that day, but uh, today we are, we are very privileged to have Robbie Diamond himself joining us on Go Green Radio. Robbie, thanks so much for your time. Jill, thanks for uh, having me, and congratulations on your big honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you are our leadoff hitter for the year 2010 for Go Green Radio, and quite honestly, I don't know if there's a more relevant topic than what you are working on and both of your organizations. So I want to i give you just a moment to kind of walk us through for listeners who may be listening to us and looking at your websites. Just give us the Reader's Digest version of what you're up to, and then we'll dig in a little deeper. Well, it's great to be the lead-off, uh, the lead-off uh, guest uh, in 2010 because hopefully 2010 is a turning point uh, for energy policy um, in the United States. Um, really, um, 
reducing your dependence on oil uh, bridges um, three of our major problems that we face as a country. It has uh, helped solve our national security issues, um, as we see with these uh, terrorist attacks and, uh, and the unstable countries in the world. And uh, some of the problem is the uh, oil and the resources uh, we need from those places um, that uh, perpetuate the instability and, and uh, help strengthen some unfriendly uh, folks. Uh, secondly, um, hopefully we'll come out of our uh, economic uh, doldrums, and oil is uh, such an important critical component of our economy and really has, uh, as, as, as we might talk about, uh, led, um, there's always been an, a price spike right before every recession uh, we've had in uh, modern times. And third, um, some of the uh, environmental issues we face. So really reducing our dependence on oil is a trifecta to solve our problems on uh, national security, economic security, and environmental security. And um, really that's what we're about at uh, Securing America's Future Energy and the Electrification Coalition, which is proposing and driving uh, policies um, that reduce that dependence and that uh, ultimately having the best advocates in the world who truly understand why this matters uh, so much, uh, advocate for them and hopefully you know, pass the uh, necessary uh, laws uh, to change the system. Of course, you know, everything we do as individuals uh, matters, but the, the scale and scope of our energy needs uh, really requires a transformative approach, which ultimately is uh, driven um, through legislation. Well, and, and that was exceptionally well put, of course. Now let's talk about that scale. How much oil are we currently importing, and how much does that cost the U.S. annually? So the, in uh, 2009, the United States uh, imported about 11, on average, 11.9 million barrels of oil a day. Um, mm. We used about 19 million uh, barrels of oil. Now, in December, it was down to 10.4 million barrels, which shows you why economic uh, growth is so, so highly correlated to our energy uh, use. Now, that will cost us approximately uh, 200, uh, last year it cost us approximately $262 billion just for that, um, as you call it, foreign oil, um, and just for those imports. In um, 2008, which um, we all um, experienced that high price spike, the Department of Energy estimated that oil dependence cost this country $588 billion that year. And those oh costs were divided up between the transfer of wealth, just paying for that oil, as I've, as I've discussed, uh, to the economic dislocation that happens as oil prices uh, uh, go up, and, and third, the, for, the foregone um, GDP growth, because people are spending more on oil and gas, uh, gasoline, as opposed to spending on other uh, items. So the right. cost is actually quite tremendous. Yeah. Um, on a day-to-day and month-to-month and year-to-year basis for the United States. Unbelievable. Now, you and I probably watch these kinds of numbers quite a bit. I know I do. Uh, the U.S. Census Bureau makes a lot of predictions about what our population growth will do, and, and they include oftentimes immigration estimates. And if they're accurate, over the next 25 years, based on our per capita consumption of oil, that's basically if we change nothing about our current habits, how much oil will we be importing when our children are grown? And, and what do folks expect the cost of that oil to be if we were to change <clears throat> nothing? 
Well, it, it really, if, if you know, it's hard to put into the equation if we do nothing. I mean, every year the um, the Energy uh, Information Agency uh, from the Department of Energy looks at sort of the current regulations on the books. So they don't forecast the political um, changes that will happen, but look at sort of you know fuel economy standards, for example, were passed in 2007, and then uh, President Obama um, actually raised them in 2000 and uh, in 2009. So they have an estimate that comes out that looks at the population, looks at some of the laws, what's going to happen. And they, they estimate that we're going to be at about 21 million barrels per day by 2030, which isn't a tremendous growth from sort of the 19 we have now, but that's because we took all these actions. I mean, fuel economy standards, in our estimates, will, ra- will save us about 3.5 um, to 4 million barrels per day. So. I think when one looks at the totality, if we had not taken those changes and made those changes, um, you know where we'd be. So, um, and then, and then even more so, I think it just shows you how important sort of the legislative changes are to to reduce the scale of abuse. So there is growth, but the growth is actually less um, than we we had we had expected or they had predicted um, before that energy bill was passed in 2007. Right. And and now in terms of what we can project for the cost of oil, you know, of course that fluctuates, you know, practically every day, but um, based on geopolitical concerns and, uh, you know, supply peak oil, we talk about that a lot, um, what is the predicted cost to our our society, you know, in 2030 if we're consuming that much oil? You know, Jill, this is what I'm going to, in some ways, uh, dodge, and that's because if I knew I'd be a, I'd be a billionaire, um, you know, it's the question that uh, that's the, the billion-dollar question. I mean, clearly, you know, I can, I can paint to you the dynamics uh, of the oil markets as, as we see them over time. Um, what you really have is what, what many even oil companies call the end of easy oil, and you mentioned mm-hmm. the word peak. Um, you know, there are hydrocarbons in the ground, but the question is, is how do you get those hydrocarbons? And um, it used to be uh, take much less energy to do it and much less money. And as we end sort of this easy oil, um, it's just more cost, more energy, and more instability where you have to go further and further afield to get it. Um, and so I, I think that's clear we're at that um, stage um, at the moment. Um, also, growing instability, as you mentioned. I mean, it's impossible to know, you know, by 2030 what the world looks like. But we, we do know that 90% of oil and natural gas reserves are owned by national oil companies. So in some ways, it's really a misnomer to to say that ExxonMobil is big oil. ExxonMobil is actually small oil. I'm not here to defend them at all, but it just shows you they're the 15th largest holder of reserves. Big oil is Saudi Arabia and uh, Saudi Aramco. Big oil is the Iranian oil company, the Chinese oil company, the Venezuelan oil company. But that gives mm-hmm. you a sense of where you know more and more the uh, resources are and where we're going to have to go. And then um, also the other piece into this is as we have a um, both a, a uh, legislative environment that's uncertain, whether it be climate change or other other uh, provisions, um, you know, companies, and, and as the economy, you know, the uncertainty of where the economy goes, you have companies that are actually not investing in in supply, um, just as some uh, just as some as the alternative industry, uh, you know, is impacted by a lower price at the moment. So the economy itself is driving. Um, investment decisions today that will matter to us 10 years from now. 
and that is something right. to be uh, concerned about. So, you know, the EIA estimates uh, the price of oil to be about $125 a barrel by 20, um, 30, 35. You know, I think that's they've always been known to be very low. I think that's low, but one could argue that it's just as likely to be $200 a barrel. I mean, you just you just don't know. But those are the dynamics in the world: this instability, this end of easy oil, this uh, lack of investment. Um, this lack of investment, this growing demand, most importantly from China and India and from the developing world, those are really going to be fundamental to that price. Well, and, and I think you raised some some really good points in there. First of all, um, you know, climate change is the buzz, buzzword wherever you go, especially you know, in some of the, the speeches and presentations that I'm giving, everybody's talking about with religious fervor, climate change, everything. But the fact is, um, our energy supply, demand, and need uh, over the next few years is kind of independent of climate change. I mean, there is a component of carbon emission reduction and, and whatnot in some of the things that you're suggesting, which we'll be talking about in the next segment in terms of recommendations. But whether you are a, you know, climate change uh, student and disciple or what, whatever people want to call themselves or not, the fact remains, in order for our economy to continue to grow and create jobs, um, America needs a certain amount of energy, and we really need to be looking at where it comes from, and most importantly, who we're going to be competing with, what countries we're going to be competing with in order to get that fuel in the near future. All of this is predictable. All of this is known. We know what the population uh, charts look like. We know what the consumption of oil uh, charts look like when it looks at China and India and their growing needs. So none of this is uh, voodoo science. It's pretty... Uh, pretty uh, predictable. But we're going to be back after this commercial break. We're going to talk more about what Robbie Diamond and his organizations are recommending in terms of securing America's energy future. And uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I would like to remind everybody this is an interactive show, and we would love to hear your questions. Call-in number for that is 1-866-472-5788. So don't be shy. A lot of you send me uh, tweets and you send me emails during the show. Call in. We'd love to have you on the air. Today we have Robbie Diamond, and I want you to check out his website as you're listening to the show. So don't close this web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But open a couple of new web browsers if you haven't already and check out these websites. The first one is www.secureenergy.org. The second one is www.electrificationcoalition.org. And we are here with Robbie Diamond. He's the president and CEO of both of those organizations. And we've been talking about one of the most important issues that is before us in the 21st century, and that is securing America's energy supply. Robbie, thanks so much for being with us on Go Green Radio today. Thanks again for having me. I know that what I'm about to ask you is like trying to stuff a watermelon into a Coke bottle, but talk to us about the recommendations that the Electrification Coalition has made in your new document, which, by the way, is available on your website, called the Electrification Roadmap. Roadmap. Give, us, uh, give us a rundown on what it is that you're recommending we do in order to secure our energy future. Well, as you say, it is like stuffing a watermelon into a Coke bottle. So before we go into the specific recommendations, let me just step back um, a moment. Um, as we talked about in the last segment, really we're focused on the economic, national security risk um, of our oil dependence. And we think about um, not only uh, with the oil we need, but really the fundamental problem uh, with oil um, in, our, in our society is that um, basically 97% of our transportation requires oil as its only input. It has no alternatives. So the real question is, is 
as oil prices go up, as we have to, as we, as 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 is harder to get, um, we're really just constrained um, by that fact. And what you want to try to find from a security um, perspective is um, sort of a diversity of supply of fuels to go into your car. And that's why, uh, for us, the electrification of transportation using electricity and the uh, electrons in your car is really the only way to fundamentally uh, change that equation. Now, that's going to take decades, and there are things we need to do today. There are also other alternative fuels, like uh, biofuels, um, whether they come from ethanol or they're um, cellulosic ethanol or others. Um, there's uh, there's uh, natural gas that so we can talk about that have what I would, what I would say um, very important uh, and will, can play uh, important roles but ultimately can't solve that problem I've just uh, laid out. And the reason electricity is different is, is, is a fewfold. One is that the supply of electricity is diverse, which is the most important thing. You know, whether you use uh, natural gas, nuclear, coal, wind, solar, geothermal, I mean, you have a diverse supply that can fuel switch into your uh, vehicle. Uh, two is it's domestic mostly and, uh, and basically stable. And I think that is what uh, distinguishes it. Also, we tend to have a infrastructure, a national infrastructure when it comes to electricity, just as we do for gasoline, that really uh, helps um, in this matter, right? I mean, there's a focus of effort that we need to have, but, you know, the wires are all there. Um, right. And so I think that that uh, helps us out, too. And when we put out this roadmap, really, to the fundamental question we had is how do you get mass-scale penetration of electric, electric vehicles on the road in a time frame that actually matters to our economic and national security. That was the, the challenge we had. Because if one looks at the hybrid experience, the, the Prius or other hybrids that we have, there's basically only 1.3 million hybrids on the road today mm-hmm. after 10 years. The problem is there's 250 million other cars on the road. Well, there's so, another problem with them, too. They're driving 45 in the fast lane. Nobody likes that. <laughs> They're in the HOV lanes going slow. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, how, how, do you, how do you get a penetration rate that matters? Ten years and 1.3 right. million cars isn't enough. So that's why we wrote the roadmap. And to get back to the original question, which is, you know, what were the recommendations? What we saw was the need to have a really a focused um, effort in, uh, in, in distinct geographic areas where the infrastructure for the electric uh, uh, vehicles and electric transportation and the cars are being deployed basically in sync. So that allows the consumer and the American public and the government, for that matter, who will be spending money on this, to show the value proposition of electrification, of the electrification of uh, transportation. So what we've, I, I say the headline, um, the headline recommendation is to create an Olympic bid type process uh, for the country, where cities or other geographic areas will come uh, to the government and bid um, for becoming one of these what we call electrification ecosystems. And by being an ecosystem, you get, one could say, supercharged um, incentives, both on the infrastructure side for the utilities and others to put out the uh, infrastructure we need, charge stations, and et cetera, um, and then um, for the cars to uh, keep the price uh, down um, so you get economies of until you get economies of scale, which is you know one of the fundamental problems is the the cost of the battery. And unless you do that, um, we just see it as a very hard uh, penetration question. And really, what you want to do is make sure that you're beyond early adopters right away. And right. so 
you know, many many people who buy these cars, I mean, they're the natural people, the, th- the 10,000 people who are, you know, people who are your show listeners or and other uh, technology um, people who want to try the, the latest thing or are very environmental, you really have to find those people who are, are not like that. And so you want to penetrate these geographic regions with about 100,000 cars. Um, and so you lay the infrastructure down um, and simultaneously get about 100,000 cars in these uh, eight um, areas um, in the country. And then after you do that first wave of ecosystems, you roll it out to uh, the next wave as we learn more. And hopefully that's also the most cost-effective plan because as we learn more, we will spend less um, on on the technology itself and on the infrastructure because you'll probably need less infrastructure. We can talk about that. But that's mm-hmm. that, I think, in a nutshell – um, is sort of the focus, this electrification ecosystem that's created through an Olympic bid-type process where cities mm-hmm. have to come prepared. And for that preparation and the best plans that they have um, and the buy-in of the utilities and their PUCs and everything else, mm-hmm. you really have, um, they get, you know, really great great incentives. So that's what, why well, they I have, do this. I have a couple questions because, I, you know, I'm with you in terms of electricity being something that is domestic and, uh, plentiful and diverse. But here's one question I have for you. You know, I've been doing a lot of work in China since 2007. One of the companies that I have have looked at and actually been a part of a of an international appraisal committee that has given an award is BYD. They are uh, they've just kind of gotten into the auto manufacturing. Uh, business recently, but before that they were battery makers. And China really has it going on when it comes to battery production. So while we have electricity, they kind of are are whipping our tails a little bit when it comes to actually the battery technology. If we were to go to electrification of our transportation, you know, we need those batteries. Are we going to be trading foreign oil for foreign batteries, or is battery domestic battery production part of the electrification roadmap as well? Right. So, for, you know, I, I would say that yeah, we're very concerned about those types of questions. Um, I, I will I will say one thing about the dependence on batteries, which is slightly different than the dependence on oil. So, once you have your battery, um, you know, we have oil in our dependence. Once it's cut off. Uh, let's start with that. You know, there's no more oil. Uh, you, your your cars can no longer run, right? It's the fundamental component of, of, of things running. And with right. a battery, um, if there's a problem with lithium reserves anywhere else um, or other issues, you know, the cars still operate, right? It's just an energy storage device, and so they're still going to fill up. Now, we might not be able to produce more cars for the time that we're diplomatically or otherwise dealing with our problem, um, but the reality is is that the system doesn't come to a halt. So it's a very different, I think, sense of dependence. Now that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that we do need a domestic battery industry. And really I think one of our, you know, calls in the report is to say that if we don't do this, we're going to be the ones who are importing those batteries. And so it's really for the United States to step up now and fairly quickly. We we suffer two very uh dis- we suffer disadvantages from both China and Europe in doing this, which is what's so, I think, concerning for us all and why this might miss, miss, pass us by and then we're the takers of all their, you know, their great uh, technology. And, and the, the two things are, in Europe, they have high gas prices because of taxes, mm-hmm. and we don't have uh, the same uh, cost structure. So they're battery-operated cars, which are expensive now because of uh, scale and battery technology, you know, are just much more cost-effective. So it's a much better value proposition to the consumer there. And in, right. and in China, 
you have, um, I think, a, a populace that has not been driving cars for all those years. And so our expectation of our car is much different than it is in China, which means that yeah. the first battery-operated cars have to come on the road, um, and it's very different with with much with uh, many more bells and whistles, so to speak, because of our expectation. And that's difficult, you know, when you got a new technology and you're iterating. And secondly, you know, it's a command and control or a little more uh, economy that's helpful to their um, to their efforts. So I, I totally uh, agree with you on what we need to do and and why we need to do this. And I think it is a great concern. Um, um, for the, the members of the electrification uh, coalition, and these are the types of things we're proposing so that this, this industry doesn't pass us by. Right, because, you know, and I'm sure you know this as well as anyone else. I mean, it was the cover story of one of last year's Fortune magazines when Warren Buffett bought 10% of BYD, and he really bought in hard to this idea of electric cars and, in particular, their electric cars. But, I mean, the first thing I'd do if I were a Chinese battery maker is if the U.S. got dependent on electric vehicles is jack the price up the battery. So I really think, I'm hoping that in part of this rollout, which I think is a great idea, and of course, as a former military officer, the idea of being uh, no longer responsible as an American military for, for protecting the shipping lanes of foreign oil coming into the country. I mean, I love that idea. But making sure that we have a domestic source, not just for the electricity, but for the batteries that store that electricity, it's really important. We've got so much more to talk about with Robbie Diamond. Folks, don't go away. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be back with more Go Green Radio. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad you're all with us today. I'd like to give a special shout-out to my tweets who uh, are on Twitter. They're sending me tweets even as we broadcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening to us each week. We love to have you. Folks, if you're just joining us, we are very, very excited to have Robbie Diamond with us. He's the president and CEO of two organizations that I am fascinated with. And if you have not done so already, don't close this web browser as you listen to us on voiceamerica.com. Open two more web browsers and check out his websites. The first one is www.secureenergy.org. The second one is www.electrificationcoalition.org. He is surrounded by some pretty incredible people. And when you look at those websites, I want you to look at the members of uh, the um, Energy Leadership, no, Energy Security Leadership Council, I believe that's the right term, uh, on the one side, and then the members of the Electrification Coalition on the other website. Robbie, you are surrounded by some amazing folks. Uh, again, I'm asking you a question that's like stuffing a watermelon into a Coke bottle, but tell us about some of the people who've been involved in these projects and what unique uh, expertise they bring to the table. Well, uh, as you you described, the Energy Security Leadership Council, which is this group of uh, CEOs and former uh, four-star admirals and generals, has really uh, sort of led the effort um, at securing America's future energy. And what we decided was if we're going to focus on the economic and the national security concerns of our oil dependence, what we really needed to do was find leaders in both of those areas. And we thought no one better... Uh, than four-star admirals and generals who really secured the supply lines and uh, you know fought the battles uh, for for that uh, oil, as you said before, um, and then also CEOs of companies, but actually big users of companies, uh, big users of oil who really represented, I guess, every one of us individually writ large because of the amount they uh, purchased. So it wasn't people who had one technology solution or another to sell, but rather. Um, really understood why mobility mattered to sort of our way our way of life. And so we recruited uh, General P.X. Kelly, the uh, 28th Commandant of the U.S. Uh, Marine Corps, and uh, Frederick uh, W. Smith, who is the Chairman, President, CEO of FedEx. Um, of course, has uh, nine, about 900 airplanes and, uh, and 85,000 uh, trucks and understands uh, mobility very well. And they're joined by other generals, such as uh, General Abizade, um, or uh, we had uh, Admiral Blair, who's now the National Intelligence Director, uh, General John Handy, uh, General Wall, General Ryan, who is head of the Air Force, as well as um, the CEOs, such as Herb Kelleher, who founded Southwest, 
or Adam Goldstein, who runs Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, or David Steiner, who runs uh, Waste Management. And so bringing together these sort of two sort of very much leaders in what we were trying to argue, which is why we need to reduce our dependence for economic and national security reasons, was very um, important to us. And they have been, you know, true champions um, of the issue, and, and most of our work is sort of behind the scenes and it's really the access that they have and the credibility they have, um, but it's been our ability to um, to really uh, drive a policy such as fuel economy standards. Um, you know, they were very, very instrumental in uh, in getting something passed that had not happened in 30 years uh, done. I can just uh, I can just uh, vouch for that. Um, and on the electrification coalition, we really wanted to we wanted to recruit um, CEOs of companies who. Are on the entire value chain of this electrification, um, this electrification proposition, from the holders of lithium reserves that will go into the batteries to a few utilities, to uh, infrastructure companies, to smart grid companies, to battery companies, to car companies, and to some of the users. And so we recruited um, CEOs of uh, PG&E, as you would know out there, or NRG or uh, CEO of Nissan, uh, Carlos Ghosn, or Fred Smith himself of FedEx is also participating in this, or the CEOs of battery companies like A123, or smart grid companies like uh, Cisco, or uh, GridPoint. And so they really have lined up the sort of the whole gamut of what needs to happen to make this a reality. Tell us what it's like when you all meet. I mean, First of all, how did you initially bring all of these great minds together? And when you do come together, what do you do? I mean, how in the world do you take all of that expertise and focus it so laser sharp, as you clearly have, um, into creating recommendations? I mean, I can just imagine what kinds of conversations these folks are capable of having. How how do you actually um, focus all of that uh, background and expertise into work documents. Right. So I, I think what we, we we've really uh, been lucky in that we we have worked with the CEOs and uh, these uh, four stars, and I think that their look at the world is um, you know it's a it's a binary decision making process. M- many of them, you know, it's mm-hmm. go no go. Um, it's uh, yes and no, and it's other ideas. So you you know you, you we have a policy staff here. Um, talking to their staffs over time, we come up with sort of our set of recommendations and then present it to them and then get the feedback um, from what we've uh, from what we've uh, presented. And some of them call up, of course, with their with their own ideas or um, or, or when we meet. But I think it it is it is important that we've been able to move fairly rapidly because these people, I, I think, are really doing this because of their concern uh, for the country and not necessarily. Um, you know, only for their bottom line. I mean, you know, I, I can say that because I, I've sort of seen it. They've actually at times recommended things that would cost them uh, money. And I think that if you look at their, many of their backgrounds, certainly in the Energy Security Leadership Council, I mean, they, they do have military backgrounds even before they became CEOs. And I think they very viscerally um, at this point in their lives um, understand why this is so critical to the country and want to make sure that they're doing right. So, it is, it is always uh, it's been my greatest honor um, to work with all these people and to uh, and to learn from them and you know getting into a room and presenting um, a document and getting their feedback um, is is wonderful and I think that's where you get your best thinking but at the same time I think that there are people who want to just move forward um, as opposed to debate every single uh, detail and that's that's very important too. Well, it is, and I mean having just had 
my own experience with, you know, some military brass when I was, you know, a young junior officer. It seemed like my commanding officer never tired of making me the one to get up and do the PowerPoint presentation when the admirals came in. And they're they're not a, an incredibly, um, you know, patient group. I mean, they, they are often, like you said, very binary. Let's go, that's up, that's thumbs down. Um, and, and that's kind of refreshing, quite actually. And I, I know you're there in D.C. That's got to be a breath of fresh air. It's hard for me to imagine that, you know, when I see the faces on your boards and on your coalition, uh, those are folks I immediately want to stand at attention, salute, and respect. But I would imagine there might be some folks who actually oppose you. Tell us about some of the obstacles or opposition that you've met along the way. Yeah, I, I think uh, much of the, the obstacles, um, some of them has to, has to do with um, ideology. And so we tend to not um, sort of have an uh, have an ideal ideological bias, um, but you know certainly free marketeers. I mean, we 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 agree very much with uh, Democrats in that there is no free market for oil. And as as I said, ninety percent of oil, natural gas, and oil reserves are owned by national oil companies. So although the price is determined on a free market, the supply is not. And so that's why you need government to have um, you know hopefully market friendly standards and mandates to drive. Um, to drive this agenda, so Democrats like that. Uh, on the other hand, we tend to agree with the Republicans that you know, uh, securing and producing uh, domestic energy in an environmentally friendly way, at least in, in our view, and we should strengthen those standards is also an important uh, an important thing. And so, um, you know, there's this ideological divide um, uh, from free marketeers as well as you know, um, anti-consumerism um, potentially um, on the left. Um, there's also the, the, the entrenched interests. I mean, no doubt. Um, in some cases, I think it's overblown uh, the way they're able to drive an agenda in Washington, but in some cases, it's very true. And this gets at the heart of their um, business models. <clears throat> and what we, we've tried to do is recruit a, a group of people who could be just as effective in, a, in opposing um, uh, their, um, you know, sort of their, their view of the world. Um, with as which is much with as much credibility, you know, and and then finally, you know, there's just the classic Washington and sort of, you know, even just American, you know, things just don't move. Bipartisan bipartisanship is nowhere, and this mm-hmm. and this and this, and this whole agenda gets uh, stopped um, because of that. Um, and and also with energy, you know, there's a time frame when energy policy. Which is very different than political time frames, and I think that is a very important thing to understand, and why it's so difficult to get right at the right energy policy. You know, energy investments are, um, are you know are multi-year, they're multi-billion dollars. They, in some cases, they're decades-long types of things, and 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 you know, politicians think about two-year time frames, and I think that's uh, that's just another difficulty. So, you know, you have your typical people we oppose us because they're against it. There's ideological opponents. And then there's the system itself that just makes things difficult. Well, and I think, too, I mean, I, as many of my listeners know, I'm a mother of three. I drive a minivan. I can't fit all of my kids' soccer equipment and hockey equipment into a Tesla. So, you know, it's also a matter of maybe not opposition, but consumer needs that aren't met by the current products we've got out there for electric vehicles. So, uh, so uh, we we agree totally, and I, I would say to you that if that if we believe that the Tesla is uh, is the final um, iteration of a vehicle, it's just not going to work. 
right. to more I mean, to our work on fuel economy standards. I mean, <laughs> you know, there are people who need, you know, a certain type of vehicle. Now, doesn't mean we can't make that a more efficient vehicle, or doesn't mean that ultimately we can't try to make that an electric vehicle. But I'm, I, I think we um, totally agree with you and and sort of uh, work accordingly. Well, if the American think, people don't want I mean, this, or they're not willing to consume it, and I'm talking about the people, you know, in the middle of the country. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and some on both coasts, you just, it won't be successful because if it's only those early adopters, this is a problem of 250 million uh, cars and, and uh, you have to get way beyond just the people who, who drive currently those 1.3 million uh, Priuses out there. Right. And I mean, you know, those Priuses were marketed to what some of us know as Lojas buyers, um, which is a, a term for people who live a sustainable lifestyle and will purchase accordingly regardless of the price. Um, but I think in order to make it mainstream, I mean, uh, a lot of consumer good products and companies know that there's nothing like having a minivan mom uh, on your marketing team or, <laughs> you know, giving you some input as to how these things can actually occur, because um, though I know that a lot of folks who are dealing with, you know, the out, out, you know, rolling out of electric vehicles are looking at city drivers and people who just need a, a compact car. That's that's not middle America. It's not a lot of even here on the west coast. A lot of us drive minivans and suburbans just because we've got kids with sports equipment. Well, folks, we're going to be right back with Robbie Diamond after these commercial breaks. So don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? or 14%. Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote, and then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. I am so thrilled to have our guest today. He's such a great leadoff hitter for the year 2010. Robbie Diamond is doing work that is not just important today. It's going to be important to our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. What he's doing is helping us think about and to take action on some very real data about what our country needs in terms of energy supply and where we can get that in a way that is domestic, that creates domestic jobs, keeps our wealth at home instead of sending it over to countries overseas who may or may not like us to pay for oil. And I really want to thank you, Robbie Diamond, for what you're doing and what your members of the Electrification Coalition and the Energy Security Leadership Council are doing. Um, You're real patriots, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Well, you know, you are you have quite an array of uh, big American companies represented by their CEOs on your coalition. Besides those companies, who are some of your partner organizations currently, or uh, that you'd like to have in the year 2010? What kind of partnerships are you forming? You know, I, I think uh, we you know we talked to many of the organizations both here um, and for you on the, on the West Coast. And um, and now across the country that have a similar uh, mindset. Certainly, when it comes to electrification, um, some of them um, you know represent um, consumers um, like uh, Plug in America or Calcars or some on the uh, on the on the West Coast. Um, some of them uh, represent uh, utilities like the uh, the Edison Electric Institute um, or other uh, trade associations like that. And what we're just trying to do is uh, both uh, you know really coalesce um, the group of people who have been talking about um, electric vehicles um, over time um, to really coalesce around a concerted uh, plan um, that brings all the pieces together from the battery um, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the transmission and to the distribution of electricity to the car. And so, you know, it's, it's both a combination of, like I say, um, you know, the consumer side of it, but also some of the companies will ultimately need to, uh, to, make, to make this happen. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think we've spent uh, much of our time uh, focusing um, on, on, on legislators and others that can change, systemically change, but ultimately it will be unsuccessful unless there's a bottom-up uh, groundswell. And some, sometimes we're not the experts in that. Um, that is not necessarily our strength. But as, as I say, you know, we like to, to partner with uh, organizations that do have thousands of people to millions of people um, as members and uh, so to get them engaged. Well, and, you know, you mentioned in an earlier segment the difficulty sometimes of trying to work in a bipartisan fashion in a partisan world. And, and there's really nothing that can help at least in some way, dislodge that that barrier like voters with an opinion. Do you have any public outreach plans or partners with public outreach plans that would help educate and empower voters to reach out to the public policymakers that you're working with to say, hey, we value this. This is important. Um, we expect you to represent our point of view on this when you go into public policy setting meetings. 
So I would ask people to uh, check in with, uh, as you said, the website electrificationcoalition.org. Um, over time, we'll have uh, more and more of that um, or be able to, um, to, uh, to drive you to other organizations that, that are doing it. Um, and so I, I say stay tuned. Um, in many cases, we want to go to some of these electrification ecosystem um, places, the, the cities or the regions that we think will be uh, ideal ecosystems, and begin to work with them on putting together these uh, Olympic bids um, in order to uh, to get this uh, to get this uh, groundswell for the federal government to to step in uh, with the uh, necessary uh, funds and policies uh, to make that happen. You know, your biography is, is very, very distinguished, of course, but I love the last line. It says that you're a father of three daughters. Talk to us, because a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners are parents themselves. Talk to us about how being a parent has shaped the work that you do. I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise to uh, the listeners out there who uh, have kids. You know, every time you look at them and you think about their future and you watch the nightly news or... Know, read the uh, the internet um, and the news on the internet. I mean, you just have to be concerned of uh, what the world uh, we're leaving for um, our kids in, in all these areas, um, whether it be America specific and our you know those people who say that our best days are are behind us, um, to just the world and the instability we see everywhere, and mm-hmm. uh, and and for the um, for the planet. So, you know, those are the, those are the things that get you up in the morning. Um, and as you get them out to school and you look at them and you say, well, this is why I do what I do for for a living, and uh, we have to make some uh, changes so that that world and uh, and America is uh, we're leaving you a better better place than uh, that was left for us. So I know that sounds uh, hokey, but as every uh, parent out there would know, I mean that 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 really does uh, that really does sort of uh, you know drive some of the uh, some of the energy to use a bad uh, pun in in what you do every day. <laughs> I don't think it sounds hokey at all. I think it sounds inspiring, and I know I feel the same way. You know, in the work that I've done with the Go Green Initiative, um, I never saw myself doing what I do for a living and running an environmental education program, but the genesis of that organization was the same as what you're describing. Um, my deep, deep concern that I couldn't leave the future of my children up to somebody else, that I had to get involved. And I have, you know, a specific vision of what success you know, in my work would mean to them and to their children. I bet you do too. Would you describe for us what success would look like when you're old and gray and your daughters have, you know, children and and you can look at the world that you leave them and and see your thumbprint on it. What specifically would you like to see? Well, first of all, I have to say that my kids really actually have no idea what I do. And uh, (laughs) every time they say, well, what exactly do you do? My, My wife's a doctor. That's very easy to explain. (laughs) <laughs> they don't. They don't really totally get it. So uh, I, my wife might not even understand what I do every day. So um, you asked me what 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 success looks like. I mean, there's short term and there's a uh, long term. Uh, beyond the uh, sitting in a chair, uh, gray, rock, rocking back and forth. Uh, you know, I think that um, we've accomplished our mission here. Um, if one, um, you know, there is a legislative um, environment which allows um, for the electrification of uh, transportation. Uh, in the long term, you know, over the coming uh, decades, so that's how long it will take to really implement the amount of uh, changes in the fleets that we have. Um, but and and in the interim, have enough energy to drive economic um, growth as we get off um, as we get off 
um, the current energy infrastructure to the future one. So have energy today, that would be, I'd say, the tactics, um, and to use that energy as efficiently as possible and as cleanly as possible, and the strategy is to ultimately um, end our dependence um, on a single-source fuel for um, our transportation sector. By having that legislation, I'd feel pretty good. Um, about that, and then helping implement that legislation. At that point, I think you close down the organizations that I have, uh, that we've established here in the work we've done. I mean, we don't plan to be, our, our business is actually putting ourselves out of business. That's what we say every day here, which I think allows us to be quite aggressive in our, in our approach. Uh, this is not about uh, having membership and staff and just sort of feeding the beast. Um, and then, you know, in the in the long term, I mean, hopefully by the time I am gray sitting in the chair, right, we will have a transportation sector that is not you know, fossil fuel dependent. I think uh, we'll run our ground transportation, our light-duty vehicles on electricity. We'll probably fly our airplanes on, a, on a, some type of uh, bio-crude, uh, so uh, a uh, jet fuel made out of uh, biomaterial. Algae is definitely a leading uh, candidate. Mm-hmm. And we'll uh, power that electricity uh, using a variety of sources, certainly more renewables, but I, I have no doubt uh, I will, in my lifetime, we will still be using you know, nuclear and um, natural gas and other traditional fuels. But from a climate perspective, that, that will uh, you know, hopefully uh, be, a, you know, be a reduction in, in the use of those things. And, uh, and, so, um, mm-hmm. and so the, the world well, will I be getting better. You, you've got a very clear... And, and very foreseeable future in your mind's eye. And I hope that, uh, and, and I pledge to help in any way I can, uh, to help you realize that so that we can all see that future that you see so clearly in your mind's eye. Maybe your daughters will get my dream vehicle, which is a convertible minivan that's run on electric. That's my dream. So maybe they'll get that in their futures. But, Robbie, I want to thank you so much for being with us on Go Green Radio, and thank you for what you do. Please send our best to your members and your coalition and your staff. Folks, there's much more Go Green Radio, same time, same place next week. So join us again for more Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.